Welcome, everybody. This is the Nasty Boys Podcast. My name is Tyler Dugan. I'm here with Shane Smith. Um, this is a podcast about Cincinnati sports. Um, first of all, thank you for listening if you are here. Um, I don't know why you would, but we're just two normal guys, two irrational fans like talking about sports. Um, I don't know about you, Shane. I find myself talking to myself a lot in the car. Uh-huh. So this is kind of my way to get... Um, get a lot of thoughts off my chest so I don't have a heart attack at 45 from watching all these teams. So, what are your thoughts? <laughs> Absolutely. I think this is just, uh, I mean, like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, I think uh, we text each other every day about the different things going on with Cincinnati sports, so why not put it out there for people like us because we know they're out there just uh, listening, give our two cents. Not that it really matters, but we can, like you said, we can get it off our chest. Right, yeah, instead of making like 43 uh, tweet threads or whatever, just give it, get an hour, hour and a half, yeah. um, just kind of let it all out. The, so, the, the Twitter king, at TylerDude7. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so if you follow me on Twitter, you're probably like, holy shit, thank you, it's finally getting a break. I think half of Cincinnati sports knows who uh, who Tyler Dugan is on Twitter. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but yeah, I, uh, I definitely... I definitely say my opinion um like i said we're just two like kind of normal fans so i think what to expect from this is just us kind of shooting the shit i think uh a lot of people in like especially cincinnati sports media like the big talking heads love trying to relate to players or the teams or give you the overhead version of this is how a gm would run and like i think what's the best part of sports is the fan like being irrational being crazy having wild thoughts being frustrated cussing screaming like saying stupid things that's what a part of being a fan is so i think that's what kind of this is going to be about is us just sitting here for an hour and a half uh you know once or twice a week just kind of shooting the shit and just letting loose and giving our uncut kind of reactions to how things work and and what we think here so i think that's what you can expect from us overall Absolutely, and I think uh, starting it now at the new year, I think it's kind of the perfect time. A lot of stuff going on, and uh, yeah. I think I think it's uh, the right time just to kind of jump in and get this going. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of the new year, obviously, um, I guess we'll just jump right into it. New Year's Day, uh, the Bearcats played the Georgia Bulldogs in the Chick Fil A Peach Bowl, and like a lot of things that we've been through. Um, they decided to rip my heart out, swallow it, <laughs> eat it, and then take a shit right down my throat in the last two minutes of the game. Um, you know, my thoughts on this are a little out there. So obviously, it's the biggest game for UC football in ten years. Um, and it was big, and it was New Year's Day, and I think you know the numbers came out as like the tenth most watched game of the college football season, and that's great. Um, I don't know how to put this without sounding like an ass, but I don't like moral victories. Absolutely. And I saw like a lot of like, well, they hung with Georgia, they played with Georgia, and like that's a plus. Like, no, they should have won the game. And like they were the better team for four quarters, and they just pissed away an 11-point lead at one point, and it, and they just – they dominated them. And I think it's I think it's lackadaisical and good programs or teams that want to be good programs don't they don't they don't, they don't piss it away victories. yeah 
And I so. think I think it's really uh, it's I'm glad you brought that up because that's the f- first thing you sent me a list of what we wanted to go over tonight, and I went ahead before this and I kind of jotted down what I wanted to talk about on each point. And the first thing I got on here is 2009 Orange Bowl and 2010 Sugar Bowl, and it felt like when UC played in those two games, um, it was a hey, at least we got there, at least we're here, and I think I think the big difference now we're. 11 10 11 years beyond that it's now you see like you said you see it's not at least we got there that's not good enough anymore and i think like you said you see dominated four quarters that was uc's game to lose and they lost it georgia didn't win right. that game right and it's you know it, i think that's what made it frustrating you know i i went into it and obviously the spread um was 10 so they were they were decent sized underdogs and all that stuff but which is I ridiculous <laughs> i know i know looking back at it, it was crazy but and i bet you see so it was nice but going into it it was like i always felt i don't know why but i felt this team had a chance because of that defense and that proved to be true and i thought the defense all year was underrated and i thought they didn't get the respect and no one thought they could hang and no one could they thought they could be physical with them and they were so for me like I never went into this as a moral victory game. Like I expected them to win this game. Absolutely. So I was, you know, for me personally, I, I didn't go into this with the idea. And even like the 2010, you brought up the sugar bowl, right? Like that was almost a moral victory. That was a chance. I think to say moral victory game, right? Brian Kelly leaves, like we're there. We had a great season, but it, it almost seemed like urban Myers retired. Tim Tebow was retiring all that stuff. So it was like, Maybe it's just a happy to be there kind of thing, especially with the way it started out. But it was like this game, they should have won, and they didn't. And I think that sucks. That really, really sucks. So um, obviously it was a great season, and I don't mean to shit on that or talk down to them because I thought they were great all year. They're one of my favorite teams ever to watch, but it ended shitty. And my dog won't stop fucking squeezing his toy, so that's annoying. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, for me overall, that's kind of where I'm at. I don't know. I don't know I, what you kind of think of I that. Think, but that, that's kind of how I, 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 kind of how I feel about it. I'm not, I'm not okay with just walking away being like, well, they played Georgia tough. Like, you know, they, they were physical with them and they matched up with them. They hung with an SEC team. Like, no, they should have beat an SEC team. And I think another thing to go off of that is like you're kind of hearing the narrative right now, more so not from the Cincinnati like sports people, but kind of like the national like um, reporters and whatnot. And they're saying, "Oh, UC proved that the the power the group of six teams like they deserve a chance now. Like UC proved that." And it's like I I think you can ask any fan from Central Florida, Boise State, BYU, Cincinnati, just the schools in general. Like we believe and we know, like these teams, we can hang with them. We can hang with them. We can beat them, hundred percent. It's right. So I think as a Cincinnati fan, we don't want the moral victories, but from a national media perspective, I think a a moral victory is kind of what we almost needed. Not what we wanted, but what we needed. Because now going forward, we know UC is going to be right back in the spotlight next year. And I think that game, I mean, I hope it does. I don't know. I can't see into the future. But I hope if we're at the same spot next December, end of November, after UC wins the AAC again, it's, I hope 
the the co- the college football committee can look back and think, well, they hung with Georgia last year. Like they should have beat Georgia. Everyone knows Georgia did not deserve to win that game. Every single person that watched that game knows that. So it's like, I think if there is one moral victory, like you said, we don't want that. We deserve. We know. We know we should have won that game. But I think there are a lot of good things that did come out of that game for sure. Right. Definitely. And I, I would. I wouldn't. Yeah, and that's why I was. I wanted to be like almost delicate in saying it because I didn't want to make it sound like it was the worst thing in the world and it's the worst loss ever. It's just it sucked, yep. and I don't. I don't want to not say it didn't suck just because they played hard and they were in the game. Like, no, it sucked. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally agree. I think it's good for for UC. You know. And we brought up, like, yes, for the overall spectrum of the program, I think it's good to show that they were physically there with Georgia. Like, Georgia didn't really push them around. Obviously, we'll get to the – we'll break down the game here in a little bit, our thoughts and the turning points. But I thought you see, like, defensively, Georgia could not run the football on them. And nope. Georgia, you know, they got some separation on the receivers a little bit. But, you know, we had a couple – we forced turnovers. We got to the quarterback, that kind of thing. So it was like – and in the first half, we really protect Ritter. So it was like they they handled – one of the best SEC defenses, best punches. So it's like they could hang physically. So now let's go win the game. Yep. And um, I guess on that, we can kind of get to the game. Um, I don't know what you thought. I thought there was two major keys to the game. And I think everyone's kind of saying the same thing. Yeah. Actually, I don't know, we'll say three major plays. Um, I thought first the, first, the one that happened first, I think, trying to think back so this game happened what not quite a week ago but we're filming on tuesday the game happened last friday so and i refuse to rewatch it but i think the uh the cole smith block kick in the first half was huge i think that's a play too Um, that goes that's not going to be mentioned enough like people are going to overlook that right that was one of those like maybe not I don't think it lost the game necessarily, but any, I mean, we, we, you know, I mean, what did we lose by two points? Well, we ended up losing by three because of the safety, but you know, that, you know, those are three points left on the board yep. that they should have had. And, uh, and the Georgia guy made a great play. It wasn't on Cole or anything like that. The guy just split the seam and it's a great play, but it's something we'll look back on and think, you know, that was kind of a momentum shifter. It did get fired Georgia up a little bit. I think they went deep the next play, like that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I thought that was a big play. And then obviously, I think the two biggest was James Hudson's stupid penalty um, to end the first half. Talk about um, the definition of frustration. That almost brings me back to the thoughts of the Vontez Perfect penalty against the Steelers. It, it's it, very, like, it, it's not as damning, and it wasn't, like, as egregious. It was just dumb. Well, yeah, it was just like, man, what a just a bonehead. Just, it's like. And I feel and honestly, I, and I know for a fact, like James Hudson's been a dog for us, right? Since he since he's got here on campus, and and I know he's he's beating himself up over it. There's no way he's not, but it's just like, man, right? So I don't want to sit here and like and you know, you know, crap all over him and and, and rag on him because you know it was just a it was just a guy just not you know emotions take over and yeah. he just it was just a dumb play. And it was probably a little bit of a soft ejection, but it's the rule. Yeah. And he did lower his head, and he hit him in the head, and it was three seconds after the play. And it just – it honestly, other than probably Desmond Ritter, I, I don't know if it could have happened to a worse player on the team. I on agree. A hundred percent. It just – that really changed the game for them. And obviously – and I don't want to – I'm not big on just like college kids 
ragging on them. And not no. that we're old or anything. I mean, you know, we're 24, 25, but I don't, I don't want to sit here and bag on Lorenz Metz and tell him that he's terrible and all that stuff. I'm not going to do that. Um, but he, he's clear. I mean, James Hudson was the first all conference player. He just declared for the NFL draft yep. as a junior. Like that's, you know, he's going to get drafted. He was, he's a really good offensive tackle. So that was a huge loss. And the game shifted right on that. It shifted Immediately. Georgia could not stop getting the Ritter after that. Immediately. Yeah. Because then, and then you look back and you see the strip sack fumble, which leads to seven points. I mean, where where they come from, the left side, mm-hmm. and it's like you said, yeah, that was definitely. I think, yeah. I think that was the biggest, the turning point of the game. I agree. I thought, and, and what's crazy is, is that happened, and the next play, Ritter made maybe the play of his career, and you see, you know, where he rolled out, bought all that time, and found Wiley, Wiley. in the corner of the end zone. With, which was a hell of a play. And, you know, so it was like, okay, you see, they, they got huge points out of that, which was massive. They kind of, but. In the long run. You know, it's still in the long run, right. In the long run, it like changed the, it changed the whole shape of that game. Because Georgia was just finally able to get the Ritter consistently. And, you know, the, there was a bunch of pre-snap penalties and, and just, they were just out of whack. Um, so, you know, and, and they were already down their starting center. Yep. So it was like, you know, they're, they're already down one offensive lineman holding the fort. Now, you can't go down two offensive linemen. And probably and arguably your two best offensive linemen. You're definitely your two best. I don't know, right? Yeah, I mean, they're up there. And, you know, definitely your best. So it was just, it was that was a big loss. And then obviously, and this one's getting the most publicity, was the fourth and two call. Third and two. The, thir- third, the third and two call, I'm sorry. Um with Dan Brock, and they, they decided to throw it. Man, and what drives me crazy is about that is I'm sitting there watching the game, and I, I remember specifically I was running through my head, like, the time and everything, and I was just like, all right, worst – I even told myself, worst-case scenario, it's fourth down. We run the clock down to about 40, 45 seconds, and we, we pin them deep inside their 20 when it was first and 10 at that moment. And then I'm sitting there, and it's third and two, and I mean – I, the thing I, I have written down here is if we get that, no one's talking about it. It's like maybe we do that rollout and someone pops open wide open. And I mean, honestly, the receiver was open. Defensive back made a great play, but it's like, man, you run that play knowing that they have zero timeouts, and if you throw an incompletion or you go out of bounds regardless of not getting the first down, you save them forty seconds. And it's yep. Like, Good Lord. Like, I'm telling myself, worst case scenario, they're going to have the ball under, under 40, zero timeouts, and have to go 60-plus yards to just set up a game-winning field goal. And we end up giving them a minute, what, 15, minute 20, no timeouts. It's like... Yeah, and, it, you know, um, it's crazy because it's almost ass-backwards and such a slap in our face, but... You know, I, I was on Twitter. I'm always pretty hard on Mike Denbrock for being so conservative, so conservative, so conservative. I mean, last year I was I literally called him conservative Mike because all he did it was run, run, pass, run, run, pass, run, run, pass, run, run, pass. And it was just like the offense was so stagnant. And it just seemed like the last, you know, the last eight weeks of the season, pretty much since the Army game, Dez came out of his shell. Mm-hmm. He opened up the offense. They became so dynamic and so elite. And they were aggressive, 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 and it's hard. It's hard to to hate on it because I, I almost think that's what got them there. That's what got them so 
much publicity and Desmond Ritter being great. Um, and he put the ball in Ritter's hands at the end of the game. Uh, I agree. They should have ran it. But he was open. <laughs> yeah. He was open. It was like if Ritter doesn't alligator arm it a bit and underthrow it, that's six, and we're talking about a different thing. I mean, he was wide open. Yeah. And, you know, the, the DB recovered and made a hell of a play. Um, and the crazy, the crazy thing second, about that so is it was like, if you if you go ahead and you watch that, that play over – that defensive back that makes the play, that wasn't even his man. He he had the wherewithal, right. yeah, he had the awareness to come off his own guy, and he, he saw him open. And he just threw his hands up in the air. Yeah. He wasn't even looking at the ball. I mean, he just threw his hands up in it the air. It was just a pray, prayer and desperation, and it just happened. Yeah, it was just out. a desperation, and, and Ritter just underthrew him a bit, and it sucks. Um, I have the tweet up here from Warren Sharp, who's yeah. you know, a big NFL analyst guy. Um, it does pay me to... to to read through it, but you know the the clock management of the game, we'd be remiss not to bring it up. And I love Luke Fickle. Um, I love everything that he's done, and I don't like like I said, I don't want to sit here and just bash this team because they played such a tight game versus Georgia. But since he snapped the ball. Since he snapped the ball on a moving game clock with 12 and 10 seconds left on the play clock, that saved 22 seconds for Georgia. Then, without any timeouts and 141 left, Cincinnati passed on third and two rather than running. That saved 40 seconds. So, I mean, you can look at it 62 seconds. Georgia kicked a field goal with seven seconds left to win the game. It's hard not to look at that. I mean, it really is. And Fickle said in his press conference, um, you know, he was probably all riled up and probably frustrated and people were questioning him and I get it, but he pretty much snapped at the reporter and was like, are you kidding me? We're playing to win the game. We're aggressive. We're going to win the game. And that's great and all, but you could have won the game, putting the ball in Desmond Ritter's hands and saying, Des, go get me two yards and stay in bounds if you don't and trust in your defense that's anchored you all year. And exactly. Um, and I think this team a lot is outside of, I mean, Almost every game, the defense has been the saving grace. I mean, yeah, right. our, our offense, after like you said, after the Army game, it started clicking. But, I mean, man, that defense, the defense is the identity of UC football right now under Luke Fickle. So it's like, if you don't get it, you don't get it. Run off the clock and you trust your defense. Right. Yeah, and it's just... Uh, it sucks. And like I said, I mean, it ripped my heart out. And, and credit to George Kicker. Yeah, that, that field goal was bizarre. I've said this like three times, but they they got you know oh well the play they tried to go deep on that third down play and the ball I, I don't want to say it went through Jarrell White's hands, but like Jarrell White could have intercepted it almost. He was like right there on that deep pass. He made a hell of a play, and then it was like I don't know if ESPN botched it or what happened with the camera crew, but it was like they were on the field and that field goal was up through the uprights before I could even blink. I was like, what the hell just happened in this game? And, you know, it happened so fast. Credit to that kid. I mean, 53-yard field goal, the defense held him pretty deep, made a pretty nice play. It was just they had one big missed tackle that gave him 12 yards. Um, But, yeah, I mean, just it sucks. I mean, that sucks. Um, Yep. And I don't, want, I don't want to harp on it because, like I said, I love Luke Fickle. I love this program. It's impossible not to acknowledge where we're going. So we'll get more positive with it. But, um, you yeah, know, we had to talk about it. 
we had to bring it up and I don't want to sit here and, and fairy tale around it and be, you know, smack the guys on the ass for just saying, good job. You played hard. No, they should have won the game and they did it. And it wasn't just the player's fault, the coaching. Um, it was a good game. They're going to be really, they were a really good team. They were an awesome team to watch. So I want to play homage to them. Um, and that fun. Another positive. Especially with everything they've gone through this year. Yeah. And all the COVID shit absolutely. and all that. I mean, credit to them. Honestly, it was, it was an amazing year to watch them. Absolutely. And another thing I wanted to point out I had here since JT Daniels took over uh, the Georgia quarterback, he takes over with three games left in the year. And Georgia's offense, I mean, if you pay attention to college football, they were not your typical Georgia offense that people are used to. And he comes in, they go 3-0 and with him as a starter. They averaged 42 points. And in the three games, just a tick under 500 yards a game. Now, UC gave up 449, which just still held them under the average which I think they – I guarantee you they probably did that for every team this year, holding them under their averages. They only give up 20 – two All-Americans. Exactly. No, no no Gardner, no Wiggins. I mean, yep. th- those, are your, those are your boys in that secondary. They give up 22 points, and 10 of the 22 points Georgia started in UC territory. Yep. And it's like – Yeah, they did, I mean, they did what they did all year long. And I'm glad they got the respect – and, uh, and, you know, that was one of the, like, moral things that I thought was nice to see. Um, you know, it, it was cool to see during the game the national, the big, you know, the big wig, Joel Klatt, Kirk Herbstreit, talk about, you know, the how mean this inside defense is and how it's real. Because all we heard, all we, I mean, even the last two weeks of the season when it almost seemed inevitable that uh, we were going to play Georgia in the Peach Bowl before it was kind of scheduled. We almost kind of knew we weren't going to make the playoff, that it was basically set in stone that I was going to be that all we heard was how good JT Daniels is how good this Georgia offense has been so it was like to see that defense step up to the occasion like you said and I know 449 yards looks bad they were also on the field pretty much the pretty entire much the second half I mean, so, I I mean it was like they were gassed they were missing their two best their two best defenders well two All-Americans in their secondary and you know I think Credit to Marcus Freeman. Credit to Luke Fickle for having them prepared for that because they, they really balled out. Absolutely. Um, with that, we kind of brought up Freeman. Um, oh, boy. Kind of into the future of the program. Oh, boy. Unless you got anything else on it. No, all you go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, the rumors were swarming with Freeman and Fickle. I mean, it's bound to happen. Um, Freeman is... I would go toe to toe. I mean, I'm on a huge Brent Venables' way of a rated kick, although he's so uh, so paid paid so much. Yeah. I think Freeman's the best young coordinator in college football right now. Um, he was up for the National Coordinator of the Year award. He's a lead at his job. I mean, they are so prepared every single week, and you know, a lot of people scoff at the um, the American like, "Oh, it's a shitty conference," and that's great. I I'll, I'm not going to sit here and pound my chest over him. American Athletic Conference football, but you can't dispute the offenses. Central Florida puts up points. Memphis puts up points. SMU puts up points, and they've done it versus everybody they've played. They average over 550 yards. I mean, they even you, you want to under 300. Absolutely, and you go and even look at a team like East Carolina, who typically you yeah. don't you don't like raise your eyebrows at when it comes to college football. But I mean, what they did at the end of the year, I watched them play SMU, and they put up 40 points in the first half. And I right. think like what they scored. Yeah, UC gets what had, seventeen points, and half the game yeah. their backups were in. Yeah, it's like that. You know that that defense has been elite 
all year, and that's all Marcus Freeman. So the job offers are going to come swirling. I don't – I stand behind it. I, I think Fickle and Freeman are different. Not that they're going to be here forever, not that, but I just don't think they're going to go run and take any job. And I, I don't know the exact quote. I know Freeman mentioned it um, a while back, but he, you know, he wants – to be a head coach one day he's talked about it that's obviously his goal when you get into coaching yes. so but he doesn't think that it's beneficial to go just be another defense coordinator somewhere so obviously LSU's the big kick now I, I think LSU would have to give him a significant 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 pay raise to move him and his five kids away from Cincinnati to go be a defense coordinator I will I just really do I will say I've I read today that he was on Notre Dame's campus and I think at the one school I'm worried about I I, I'm more worried about Notre Dame than I am LSU. Yeah, that's a good point. I did see the Notre Dame thing. I, I mean, I think he's going to go interview anywhere. I think he'd be stupid not to. Yeah, who, who wouldn't? And he deserves it. He deserves to go get interviewed. So, um, obviously, uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Cincinnati's a better job than Notre Dame, but I, I think Marcus Freeman would tell you that he thinks he can get a head coaching job jumping from defense coordinator at Cincinnati to another job or he'll eventually take over the race for Luke Fickle. I, I, I don't think that he doesn't – I think he sees that writing on the wall, that if Fickle – he doesn't want to just jump to any opportunity knowing that if Fickle does leave soon, he'll he's the next head coach here. So I think that's important to him. Um, and like I said, he's got five kids here. I mean, yeah. not, it's not. It's not just a entire family. Yeah, it's just yeah, not a, very close. Yeah, it's not just a pick up and move your stuff. He, he, there's a lot more to think about when it comes to it. Right, and we'll keep talking about that as it, as it comes out. Obviously, it's still early with all that stuff, so I don't want to speculate too much. But it, it is worth mentioning that that you know Freeman is interviewing, and he deserves it. I, I, it's not a guy I'll shit on or anything. He's done wonders, I would say, other than Fickle. He's probably been the most important hire in Cincinnati. I mean, he's been freaking phenomenal. So absolutely, um, you know, and he's one of their top recruiters. So that'll be a big loss, but he deserves it. He really does. Wherever he goes, um, also with the future. Um, next year, um, I think, you know, we talked about like the Georgia and I think what, another reason the Georgia game was so big and obviously it would have just been big to win on New Year's day in the Peach Bowl and beat Georgia and all that stuff. But I worry, I, the college football playoff committee loves to tell you that they don't pay attention to the AP poll and they, they don't watch that ratings. And that's the biggest spew of bullshit I've ever listened to in my life they of course they do they base their initial rankings off that and to say they don't is is crazy so I thought the Georgia win would have been big because I think it would almost guarantee Cincinnati to be a preseason top 10 team and I would say they're probably seventh sixth or seventh in the country preseason next year and I know we can say that stuff doesn't matter but it does for the optics of everything and where you start it does matter. So that's that's another reason for me why the Georgia game sucks so bad because next year they have a real shot. Um, you look at the schedule, they play Indiana on the road. They play Notre Dame on the road. And I think they're going to be better than both of those teams. And both of those teams will probably be preseason ranked. So hopefully they start up, we play them ranked. And this team's going to be good again. They're loaded. And I think I have a list of the guys returning or guys opting out, but or, or uh, going forward to the draft. Back. But yeah, yeah. 
but you know, hey, that's a real shot. So I think the higher you start up in the preseason rankings, not only is it good for recruiting, not only is it good for the optics of everything, but it's just, I think in the committee's eyes, they see like, oh shit, Cincinnati's six in the eight people and they won a top 10 game at, at Notre Dame. You know what I mean? Like that, I just think the uh, if you beat Notre Dame on the road and you're six in the eight people and you jump the second in the eight people, or you know what I mean? Something like Absolutely. I just think it's better looking. So that was another reason why the Georgia game sucked. I still think they'll start in the top 15. They should start in the top 10 still, no matter what. I hope they will. I hope the writers see that. But uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, talk thoughts on next year. Obviously, the, the Notre Dame and the Indiana games. I think, uh, I mean, it, I'm pumped for the Notre Dame game. I think the guys will be pumped. Not a lot of them were there with when Brian Kelly was was a coach at Cincinnati, nor were many of them probably cared about Cincinnati football at the time. But I think they're not stupid. They know what Cincinnati thinks about Brian Kelly. So I think that's just another game. If they get, honestly, I hope they're outside the top 15 because that's just going to amp them up even more. Not that they won't be, but I mean, you're giving these guys a shot at IU. You're giving them the shot at Notre Dame first couple weeks of the season and they go out there they're fired up I mean regardless and I agree with what you're saying um the college football committee looking at where they're starting and whatnot and um based off of last year's like the bowl games and whatnot you're right but I mean Cincinnati goes out plays IU on plays Notre Dame they get two dubs what more what more can you add I mean all you heard this this winter was oh well they didn't play power five school go play a power five school and it wasn't just cincinnati it was the byus were hearing it the coastal carolinas were hearing it this year so it's like they go out there and i mean hopefully i think i know they will be fickle will have them ready to go but i mean coming off this loss i mean they got to have a bad taste in their mouth i know the fan i know we do so it's like i think they have a great opportunity i think they got they got the guys in place, the rate roster ready. Fickle, right. Fickle's just been a mastermind recruiter since he's gotten here day one. Um, I think, I, I just don't know how, I mean, I if UC runs the table next year, I don't know how they're not in the top four. I don't know how. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think be, a lot of other things going to, like what other teams do, obviously, what your Alabamas, yeah. what your Clemsons and, yeah, and Ohio State. We can't States. get so far ahead of ourselves. You know what I mean? It's like, but, I'm it, just, but it is fun to think about. I agree. Yeah. And they have the opportunity. Like they, that team will have the best chance out of any probably group of five team ever. I mean, you know what I mean? And yeah. they'll have the hype around them. Yep. They'll have the hype around them. So uh, they'll definitely be a top 15 team, I think, for sure. Um, well, we should get to this part, but. Pending who comes back and who leaves. I was gonna. Uh, I was gonna say. I think going into next year, I don't know what yours is, but my biggest question mark is who's gonna be our quarterback. Yeah, that's that's the big one. So I'll, I'll get into it um, real quick. As of, I just want to read this off really quick. Justin Williams, the athletic guy, who writes for Cincinnati, he's great. Um, he he had a tweet earlier. Um, all the guys returning and all the guys who have for sure opted for the NFL draft or are leaving for sure. Um, seniors, these are the seniors, so obviously the seniors get the COVID year yeah. um, where they're eligible to come back. Yeah. Um, Kobe Bryant coming back, huge win huge, for the secondary. Huge, huge win. win for the secondary. Started that corner. He'll be opposite of Sauce Gardner again, who um, they'll both be back. That is a major get. Um, Jordan Jones, the wide receiver, transferred from Arkansas. He had some sh- moments this year. Um, I think it's always good. I think that 
wide receiver group is a little weak. So him and Michael Young being back along with Pierce and Trey Tucker, another year of experience. If Ritter, obviously we'll get to him. If Ritter comes back, um, that's huge with Wiley. That's a totally experienced group. Um, Darian Beavers, the linebacker, started at linebacker this year. Again, another big insert. He also said in his tweet that he he suspects at least one more senior will return. So I'm assuming that means a starter. I don't know where at, but um, if it's another defensive starter, um, that would be big. The guys departing, obviously there's no slouch. James Wiggins was an All-American. Derek Forrest, at one point, I don't know if he finished the year, at one point he was leading the team in tackles. Um, those are two safeties. Jared Dukes, the running back, is gone. Elijah Ponder, defensive lineman. Ethan Tucky, defensive lineman. And then James Hudson, left tackle. So those are big losses. But I think, other than Hudson, I think it's in areas where they, they've recruited so well and they have got – I mean, we saw James Wiggins back up come in and play pretty well in his first start in the Sugar Bowl. You know what I mean? So I think it was good for him to kind of gain that confidence and you you see he's ready to go. So they're not going to skip a beat, I don't think, really. And then obviously the big question, and this is the major topic, is Desmond Ritter. Um, I'll let you give your thoughts on what what you think Des will do or what you think he should do, and then um, we'll kind of go from there. I think when it comes to Desmond Ritter, I think it's probably the most intriguing – because it can go so many different ways, and I think there's a huge domino effect to the decision. It, it really doesn't just affect Desmond; it affects Ben Bryant. It ex, it ex, like it affects Prater. Like it affects so many different guys. So it's like, because if he comes back, all right, we know who our quarterback is day one, right? It's Desmond Ritter. Say he opts for the draft, then you're going all right. Well, Ben Bryant, we already know entered the transfer portal, but. Does he want to roll the dice and does he want to come back and risk the idea of, well, Prater's right there. He's, he, I mean, what was he, a four-star recruit, I think, out of Wyoming? Yeah. Yep. So you got a four-star recruit, redshirt freshman. If, if he wants out the job, then he, Ben Bryant's losing another year. Just gone. Not saying that Prater's going to go out and be the next Tony Pike, Desmond Ritter of Cincinnati football, but... It's so I think when it comes to Ritter, it's a huge domino effect. Um, it's a huge decision, not, not only for him, obviously, but just for the program as a whole. Um, now, what he should do, I mean, that's that's I mean, I don't know if there's a right answer right now. Right. I think yeah. he had he at the beginning of the year, the first I don't know how many games it was, two or three. He there were a lot of people, and I know me and you were. Two, two guys for it. People were calling for his head. We wanted yeah. we. He wasn't producing. He he's yep. inaccurate on his throws. I think that was his biggest flaw at the beginning of the year. And then something switched. My man, he he just started balling out. He took he could he took control of the offense, took control of the program, and he became the leader. And he he helped himself a lot. When I mean, I've seen mock drafts. Now I don't know. Mock drafts are crazy, but I've seen mock drafts. I have him as high as the third round. Yeah, and if if yeah. he if he's hearing from his agent, like you can go third round, I'm I'm gone if I'm him. Right, it's so stupid. First of all, that football doesn't let you do the basketball thing. But it was one of the best things basketball did was allowing them to kind of go through a draft process and work out and kind of hear things. 
Yep. Football should definitely do that. Or maybe I'm drunk and they can't do that. I, they can do that. I don't think they can. But, I don't think they can either. Um, they, they should be able to do that. It's so stupid. But like you said, first of all, I have no say in whether Desmond Ritter, like the people who are like, this, it would be the dumbest decision Ritter's life to go to the NFL. Like, no, it wouldn't. He's going to the NFL. Like, it's not a dumb decision. He has a kid on the way. That matters. Um, you know, if he's projected to be a third round pick or he's hearing that, I think he'd be crazy not to. Absolutely. Um, I think for him, you know, it, um, and not to be a Mel Kuyper or Tom McShay or any of that, but I think he has good arm strength. He obviously can move. So that's a big thing with NFL now is they love, it's not the old NFL where they want you to be a big stand up pocket passer and be able to complete. Like they want a guy who can move, can make plays with his feet and who has good arm strength, can throw to tight window. As can do that. That's his biggest question. Always been in accuracy. Yep. And you know, I, I, he's proven the last eight weeks and even in the Georgia game that he can make plays. So his stock has only gone up. Um, now he could, he could also come back and have a Zach Wilson year and be off the walls. Good. And become a first round draft pick. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like, if he comes back and lights it up, who's to say? It's not like the NBA where seniors don't get drafted into the first top 10 picks, right? I mean, seniors, quarterbacks go. Joe Burrow went first overall. So, not to say that he could do that, but, you know, if he has a Zach Wilson type year and, you know, the next draft, no one knows the. I mean, this year it was kind of like set in stone, right? Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence. That kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So Trey Lance, the dude from North Dakota State, like they've been talking about him forever. So it's like those those guys that always have their names mentioned. You know, now, you know, he has a Kyle Trask year. He has, you know, something where he kind of comes – he was a budding star and he erupts and he gets himself into a first or second round pick. I mean, who's to say he can't do that? Um, and, I, and I think another thing you can kind of go off of on that is, I mean, you saw what he did the first half of the year or first couple games and then what compared to what he did to end the year – and it's like, right. does he want? Does he think in his mind, like, all right, I have this offense down. I, I'm the guy, and I know I can go out there and I can do that plus some. I can, I can yeah. keep getting better. And like you said, he could go out there. He could have a Zach Wilson, Kyle Trask year where he goes from third round at best to top fifteen. I mean, right. And I think a lot of it's. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, like I said, I think for me, it's my. It's the biggest question mark, and I think it's the most intriguing one when it comes to UC, uh, especially for next year. Because, I mean, it's your quarterback. It's the leader of your team. Um, but I, it's a tough decision. Um, but, I mean, I, regardless of what he does, I think I'll be happy for him because the dude's balled out since he's been a true freshman at Cincinnati, and he stopped, he's rode, rode the wave with uh, – with the old Fickle, and he kind of he got us back yeah, to what I mean, he, you know. He's pretty much synonymous with Fickle. Yeah, he kind of. I mean, he, Fickle's he didn't play Fickle's first year, right? Then four, four and eight, but almost the. I would. He was. He was. Recru- he was turned. Fickle's first recruiting class, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the tide turned with with Desmond Ritter on uh, that that night at uh, UCLA in the Rose Bowl, yep. and they had a uh, Hayden Moore start. Right, and he was a senior, and he just struggled. And Fickle went to him in the Rose Bowl in a packed house on in national a game TV. where no one was coming a chance on national TV. And he, you know, he led him to a win, and he excelled his freshman year. He took a major step back last year. I think 
Um, and I was hard on him. I don't want to sit here and act like I, w- I was hard on him. And I mean, I, hell, I called for his job at the FC Army game. I, I mean, I remember specifically saying this: this is a top fifteen talented team, and they're they should they're not a top twenty five team with the quarterback play they have right now. And they weren't. And I think Des would probably tell you that like, he wasn't good. Um, and then, and I don't know if it was all his fault. I also put some of that on Denbrock. So uh, I will say that. But um, yeah, I, I think for him, I think it's important that he. I don't know. I, I, I obviously selfishly hope he comes back. Um, but I, I do think he has a shot in the NFL, especially with the way they do the NFL quarterbacks now. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, if he comes back, I think they're a no, I think they're a shoe-in top 12 team. They should be a top 10 team. They probably should be a top 8 team. But um, I'm sure they'll rank Texas and East of the country or something ridiculous that they lose it. <laughs> Steve Sarkeesian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Man, I will say though, real quick, real quick before we move on, um, I think another player that I'm most excited about next year, real quick, is Jerome Ford. My man oh, yeah. is electric. Yeah, that's a good. And he he didn't carry the the load a ton this year because they had Dokes and he kind of spelled carries. And I actually read a really good article on him. Like I'm gonna bump Justin Williams again, which I'll probably do a million times during this however many episodes we do with this podcast because he's so good. But he wrote an article on Jerome Ford. And I remember at one point in the article, they said he hasn't busted yet, but you're going to see him bust and you're going to look at him and be like, wow. And that run from George at the Georgia game was wow. I mean, I remember, holy shit. I remember watching that play and you see he gets, he gets the ball and I was like, all right, this is a good play. Like there was open room. And then the next thing you know, you see like four guys like collapsing on him. And the next thing you know, he's just flying right past him. And yeah, I mean, he, 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 was just, he was just, separation speed was just incredible. It was, he saw the hole yeah. and he was gone like that. And I mean, man, that got me, right. whew, I, I mean, I got excited. And I mean, there, there's a yeah. reason why he was at Alabama. There's a reason. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, so. you know, if Ritter comes back, they'll return nine starters on offense. Lose left tackle, lose running back, but Ford will come right in and step right in and be the starting running back. So really, and that, not, this isn't a knock on Jared Dokes. They just have a really good backup. So the, the major loss will be left tackle. So if they can recruit there, they do have some guys in the wings or whether Mets can figure it out, I don't know. They'll have to replace some guys on defense, but I think they got dudes there who have also played. They have, some, they have a big transfer coming in for the defensive line. So, no, they'll be really good. They'll be really good again. So yeah. I think it'll, it's an exciting time to definitely be on them. Bearcats. Absolutely. From exciting to nauseating. (laughs) Um, We'll talk to Bengals because they can't ever keep themselves out of the news. Um, They announced today Mike Brown and the most Manila disgusting, just such Mike Brown, like peaches and cream oatmeal statement. (laughs) Um, Says Zach Taylor's coming back. Um, let me start with this. Um, I don't want to say okay with it. I'm indifferent on it. Very. Like, I don't, I can't get fired up about the Bengals bringing back Zach Taylor because the Bengals fan base, and I'm I'm a part of it, but it's just so crazy about like, they have this wish list. Like we're going to bring in the hottest first coach available. And it's just like, it's not it. It's not it's not gonna happen, guys. We hired the Rams quarterback coach. Who, that I would, was our last hire. And I'd like <laughs> to say, I don't know if this is a knock on 
Duke Tobin and Mike Brown, but the Rams quarterback coach who replaced Zach Taylor, he just got hired to be the offensive coordinator at Kentucky. So it's like, oh, shit. good lord, it's like, right. we, we took a quarterback coach and brought him in, and basically they the Kentucky offensive, Kentucky Athletics viewed that same position as their offensive coordinator at best. Right, and I don't, I don't know, it sounds crazy, and I've been somewhat of a Zach Taylor defender on Twitter. I don't love it. I don't think he's the best coach ever. I don't know if he's the best coach ever. Here's what I do know. He hasn't been dealt a great hand. His teams have kind of sucked. And absolutely, you can say all you want that you know it's partially his fault. I don't know how involved he is in the drafting process. The Bengals historically don't let their coaches draft. You know that's one of the that's, that's one of why the reasons it's not a very attractive job. And that's a and that's probably another reason why we don't draft very well. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, Mar- I know Marvin towards the end, but Marvin built up so much pedigree where he was allowed to. You know, I don't, I don't know how much Zach Taylor's having influence on personnel decisions and things like that within the roster. Now, he definitely does things that are his problem. I think the I've really became off put the way they showed up after the bye against the Steelers on the road. I thought that was a game where we kind of could have saw kind of what we saw on Monday night with with. Uh, Finley and a quarterback when they won that game, right? But when the, when Burrow was still healthy and they went to Pittsburgh, they had two weeks to prepare and they just looked unprepared. Man, we had a shit ton of uh, pre snap penalties. It's just like that's a knock on the coaching, absolutely. Uh, but again, he hasn't been dealt a fair shake. The defense has been was depleted. It was depleted under Marvin Lewis. The offensive line has been a train wreck for years. I mean, it's been a train wreck since 2016. So it's like it, it's not. It's not all Zach Taylor's fault. I mean, the next coach isn't going to come in and magically whisk the offensive line to be good. It isn't going to magically whisk a pass rush. It's just I, not. I think another. So. I think another thing like that we can be positive on Zach Taylor is you kind of saw like obviously there was a lot of I don't know if you want to call it bad blood or what, but clearly Carlos Dunlap, the Gino, the veteran guys that they had their way with Marvin, and they were used they were used to that, and then this new guy comes in and it. It was it wasn't like that anymore, and I think being in locker rooms, being on teams. I mean, I I was in college. I was on a team sophomore my sophomore year, and there was a lot of anim, animosity slash questioning on our coaches' decisions, and it kind of some guys were pro for what our coach was doing. Other guys were very anti. And it split our locker room in half. And the next, you know, we went out and we went, I think our, we ended up going like 11 and 40 something. And that can really, having a split locker room, it might sound dumb, but in reality, that's going to, that plays a huge factor. And once these guys got out of the way, you had guys like Gio kind of take over um, the other veterans that were bought in for Zach and they got the rookies kind of and the younger guys like on the Zach Taylor train. I mean, what we saw them come out against Pittsburgh and they dominated them for four quarters. Right. And who knows if Pittsburgh's a fraud or not, but regardless, they're in the playoffs. They're a huge division opponent right. prime time, which we all know as Cincinnati fans were awful. <laughs> like we don't win prime time games. And he went out there and I mean, and then against the Texans, yeah, it, the game really didn't mean much, but they went out there and they showed up. Yeah, yeah, I think that's like that's it's it would be unfair not to bring that. Up. I will say one thing. Um, first of all, 
Shane was a Division One college pitcher, so if you hear him mention a locker room, he didn't just play like rec ball, like <laughs> conference Division One pitcher. So he does have experience in an actual uh, locker room with like real athletes and stuff. <laughs> but uh, I think what you what you brought up with um, Gino, um, I did hear this. The G, I just want to clear his name because I do love Gino Atkins. Gino want to make it very clear that he had no problems with the coaching. Um, he wasn't the he wasn't one of the ones throwing a temper tantrum in the locker room. He was actually injured. Uh, that's why he was sitting. So he did eventually come out and kind of clear his name. And Taylor said the same thing. So I don't think there's bad blood there. I just don't want to shit on Gino Atkins. No, yeah, I'm not great. trying to. I'm just kind of. Yeah. No, I know, I know. I just want to like make sure people, you know, if people do listen or whatever, hear that they're not like, oh, Gino, you know, you know what I mean. I just want to make sure he's for sure because I do love Gino Atkins. Um, kind of on that south topic. Um. I don't know. Like you said, I guess we should wrap up, wrap up the Zach Taylor talk. I don't know what he is. I think he deserves another year. He at least deserves to start another year with a real training camp with Joe Burrow. Granted, Joe Burrow towards ACL, so who much knows if he's going to practice. But I think he deserves a shot one more year to kind of show what he's got. If they start out one and five, two and six next year, then he's got to go. I kind of I was always on the train all year, and I know. At, the, at least at the early part of the year and halfway to the point before Joe got hurt, you were very pro what Zach Taylor was doing, especially with the offense. Um, and, I mean, if you watch any of the games, how could you not? Um, I mean, they're explosive. And I think a lot of that has credit to do to Joe. I mean, I think he's a generational talent, and I think we're extremely lucky to have him as our, hopefully our franchise quarterback for years to come. Um, but... I was always skeptical and I'm still very skeptical. And I think the only reason that in my head, I'm, I get, like you said, kind of indifferent, but I guess, okay with bringing them back is like you said, like, all right, we fire him. Well, I mean, who are we going to bring in? Who wants to come to Cincinnati right now? It's, it's, and it's that's my thing, man, is, and it's almost the same discussion we had with Marcus Freeman, how he's just said that he's not going to, he's not just going to go take any job. It's got to be the coaches right now are smarter, man. Like the old adage that there's there's only thirty two of these jobs. Yeah, but coaches now have brains where the best coordinators and guys they're only going to go to places where they know they can succeed. And there's I think the reason Josh McDaniels hasn't left New England is because he's waiting for a job where he knows he can go succeed. Because if you fail once, you could be screwed forever. Yeah. So the best Eric Bieniemy. I, I, you know, he's the hot name, right? He's Chiefs offense coordinator. He's great. He's a former Bengal. He played for the Bengals. Joe Brady. Those guys know that they're the hot name, that they can basically handpick their job. So why the hell would they come to Cincinnati? <laughs> exactly. Like we, just, we have a pipe dream. And everyone wants to say Joe Burrow. And I agree. Joe Burrow is great. I love Joe Burrow. But I'm not going to sit here and, and uh, hold out a dream but, that we're going to get the next – you know, Sean McVay, because Joe Burrow's here. We still have Mike Brown. We and still have an outdoor practice facility. Like, we, still, we, we still don't have a general manager. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, like, all that shit matters. And another thing, I mean, I, I like I said, I love Joe Burrow. Um, I th- He's going to be a pro bowler. He's going to be all pro. Um, but it's like Joe Burrow can't win a Super Bowl by himself. There's a lot yeah. more that goes into it. And like you said, yeah, you can say, well, we have Joe Burrow. We have Joe Burrow. But it's like – what else do we have to offer? I think we yeah. have a lot more negatives right now than we do positives when head coaches are looking at the Cincinnati Bengals. Right, um, and compared to other jobs. Compared yeah, to San Diego, compared to Atlanta, and, compared to Houston, even Jacksonville, who now is the one, number one overall pick. I mean, I don't want to, I don't know those rosters up and down, but like 
you know, those those teams won six or seven games. And their their quarterbacks not coming off a torn ACL. Like, that's just a fact. Yep. And another <laughs> thing too is like is like it's crazy, but coordinators don't make Trump change. So it's like they don't exactly. really it's not like they need to go like like you said, like Josh McDaniels, he's probably extremely content with being an offense coordinator in New England. I mean, how can you not be? I mean, you're working under probably one of the greatest NFL head coaches of all time. Um, I mean, like you said, it's got to be the perfect fit. And so that kind of has put me to ease when I did hear Zach Taylor is coming back. It's like, you know what? I mean, what what what's the next best? Like, what's going to happen? Like, if we did what's next like who who are we gonna hire so it's i think he does deserve like you said another year maybe not another season to start and i mean if they go out and they're one and five or two and six going into their bye week whenever their bye week is maybe it is time you you just clean house um right and and i think it's important to mention like burrow did back him and i know people were just like well it's just coaches speaking he has to say that well he really doesn't and guess what Carson Palmer said he was going to retire before he played another game here. And part of that was because he wanted Marvin Lewis fired. So, I mean, he doesn't really have to back Zach Taylor. Yeah. And he did. And I know. So that matters to me. Like, and that know, matters to me. I'm going to call him out, but uh, one of the guys that was that actually did mention that was uh, our boy Drew. <laughs> so if he's listening to this, I saw your tweet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I saw that where he said, he's just like, you don't really believe this. But I, I mean, I, think, I, I have no reason not to believe that he doesn't believe it. Yeah. I don't know. He's never tweeted about the Bengals before, and he and decided he, to tweet this time. And so. Joe, Joe's, Joe's a winner. Everyone knows that. Everyone that watches football knows Joe Burrow's a winner. Um, so I'm just I'm excited to see uh, how he comes back from this ACL injury. I mean, it's, especially as a quarterback, I mean, it's, it can be, uh, I don't know. We'll see. I hope he comes back the same Joe, if not better, but, um, Zach Taylor is our guy at this point. There's no bitching about it. It isn't going to get (laughs) bitching and bitching about Zach coming back. is going to get us nowhere. So we kind of just got to go from there and hope that we draft well, which I think we can get into. And then free agency is another big thing. Um, yeah. We shred, we shredded a lot of, we're shredding a lot of money off our payroll with guys leaving. Um, but I think if, if Mike Brown truly cares about the Bengals winning, then they got it. I mean, they did it last off season, specifically defensively, um, where they spent the money, but we got to, as fans, we have to see like, all right, if you're bringing back Zach, get him the guys. So next year, if we're in the same position, you can justify, like, all right, clearly Zach Taylor is not the guy. We put right. the guys around him, and he's just not producing. Right, and I think I think that might have been a little bit of the conversation that probably Katie and Duke had with Zach was, you know, we're, we're, we, we signed some guys in the offseason. There was a lot of injuries this year, um, so stuff out of your control. Uh, hopefully, you know, I, I'm imagining here we're going to we're going to open up the pocketbooks a little bit again. Um, we're going to cut A.J. Green off, which I'm going to get to A.J. Green because he deserves our respect. But, um, you know, let's go sign an offensive lineman. Let's draft. Let's get this together. But, you know, if we don't see this, we need to see improvement. Fire the guys you need to fire on your staff. Bring back who you need to bring back. And, you know, next year's is your, your make or break year. And he fired some guys on his staff. The offensive line coach was a big one. I think that was an important 
guy to get rid of and to kind of get a clean slate on. So I don't know. Like you said, I mean, we have no choice. You got to believe in Zach. I mean, I, again, I just, I just don't think the Bengals are going to go out and make some splash hire. <laughs> that was going to – I mean, it's just, you know, whatever. I mean, you have to do what you have to do. At the end of the day, start winning games. Yep. And the players on the field need to be better and stay healthy. <laughs> so Mike Brown's still here. That's, and he, he's not going anywhere. Neither he's is he's not going anywhere. So, I mean, <laughs> you, you can sit here and, and cry all you want about the head coach, and that's great. But you know, it is what it is. So on to that, I did mention AJ Green, and you mentioned cutting losses. That's obviously going to be a big one that is pretty much anticipated to happen. Um, real quick, I just want to give a real eulogy on AJ Green <laughs> because he deserves it. Uh, I was always hard on AJ Green, but I think you can make a very real argument. And this is going to sound drastic and crazy, but when I lay it out, I think you can make a real argument that AJ Green and Andy Dalton might have saved the Bengals in Cincinnati. And it, it's honest, it's crazy that you said that because when you said like I'm going to give like my respects to AJ Green, I literally thought in my head the Bengals franchise turned the year we drafted Andy and AJ. It really yeah, did. I mean, 2010. If you think about where the Bengals were in 2010, the Bengals just went four and twelve. Their quarterback, their franchise quarterback. The former first overall draft pick, who was only on the team for seven years, just threatened to retire before he played another game for the Bengals. The Bengals decided to bring back Marvin Lewis after a 4-10 and season when everyone thought he was getting fired. And they went and drafted A.J. Green in the first round, and they drafted Andy Dalton in the second round, and they went to five straight playoff appearances. And I don't want to make this a whole thing about them because I know they lost the playoff games and whatever, but... We saw the St. Louis Rams in that time get moved. We saw the Chargers get moved. And there was a bunch of talks about expansion and stuff like that. And the way things were trending in Cincinnati was not good. And if you can make – I think you can make a real legitimate like thought in your head that if things went south and A.J. Green flopped and Andy Dalton was really bad and that team went 3-13, and 3-13, and 2-14, and and they missed the playoffs and nobody showed in the stands – I think, I think the Bengals are probably playing somewhere else. I mean, and it, that sounds stupid. And well, Oakland was another team. And, you know, like that sounds stupid, but let's just put call a spade a spade. This is a small city in retrospect to the NFL. The NFL is a money-making business. So if the Bengals aren't putting asses in the seats and it's a billion-dollar business, someone's eventually going to buy it. Yep. And, you know, I, I think A.J. Green deserves credit for that. He was great here. He is number one and number two Bengals receiver of all time. I got – I got. Um, it was like – it's funny you bring that up because I was on uh, – Mo Egger was talking about that yesterday on the radio um, about like who he put up a Twitter poll like who's the greatest uh, Bengals wide receiver of all time. I got him at number two. I got my boy Chad in front of him barely. Yeah, Chad pulls on my heartstrings. So yeah. I'm always been a Chad guy. Same. Um, but I love I love AJ Green. Absolutely. Um, he deserves. And I mean, you just think he AJ Green an enshrinement here in Cincinnati. And he you really think, does. You think AJ Green and it's just like. It's almost like big play after big play just comes to your mind. Like he was that guy, and right. we we talk a lot about. I mean, I've already mentioned it, how bad the Bengals are drafting, but man, he just talk about a home run of a draft pick. Yeah, and uh, another thing, not to scoff at, because we just saw it with Dunlap, but like he never really threw a temper tantrum. He never whined. He never complained. He never felt sorry for himself. He got injured, and it sucked, and it kind of derailed his career. But I thought he was. I do hope you know, he gets. I thought, I thought he handled. I thought he handled himself great the last two years. Yeah, and I and I, he didn't have to. I do hope he gets another opportunity though. Like I'll say. Oh, I think he will, and I think he could be effective again. I, I, you know, I just think the Bengals' offense, the way Taylor's running it, it 
and they put a lot of the LSU stuff in, and they just need a burner and a guy who can get downfield, and he's just not that anymore. Nope. You know, so and I, he knows that he knows that for sure. I, I think, think. So, so. I hope there's no bad blood. Um, he definitely deserves his enshrinement. I think, um, but I think this is a good way. So now we're moving on from the old guys going into this draft. Um, to me, this I'm pretty excited. This might be one of the most excited years I've been for the draft. Um, I think I got it written down here. This draft for the Bengals can go in so many different directions, specifically the first round pick. Um, we're, we're at what? Number five, right? Slated to pick fifth, uh, behind the Falcons, Dolphins, Jets, and, uh, the Jags. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you might have a different opinion on what the Bengals should do specifically with the first round pick, but um, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about what, what we could do here. Yeah, I think for me, um, I don't know. I, I, I try not to get like too deep into like who we should take until some shit kind of settles. You know, you find out. Yeah. Not that I mean, you know what I mean. Like so, it's like I don't know. I, I think it's pretty clear they have to go offensive line at some point. They have to address the defensive line at some point, and they're going to have to draft the wide receiver. So. Um, whether they do that and where they do their spots in free agency or the draft is, it's irrelevant to me, but then it needs to be addressed. I think it's pretty clear to everybody. So, um, I don't know. I agree with you. I think I'm excited for it. Um, you know, it'll be interesting how the draft shakes up overall. I do love the drafts. I just like watching the dominoes effect and watching, you know, the things fall into place. Definitely, definitely the most exciting draft out of all the pro sports hands down oh yeah for sure for sure and these are two baseball guys who watch the MLB I'll, I'll watch all, like I'll watch all people. I'll watch all 40 <laughs> <Yeah>. rounds <laughs> so this is like you know we love drafts but the NFL draft is great and yeah I mean I, I'm sure in the next few episodes as things start to shuffle we'll definitely get into more of like who we should take or our thoughts on who we should take um you know I mean everyone talks about the soul from Oregon Kyle Pitts, Devontae Smith, those seem to be the biggest names rolling around right now. So, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not going to argue for any of them right now. I think the Bengals need help at multiple positions. Yeah. So it's like, to me, it's just evaluate who you think is the best, who can help your team the most. If Sewell gets taken, don't reach for an offensive tackle because you think an offensive tackle. Take the best spot available. That's how you end up with Billy Price. Yeah. That's kind of my philosophy on it. Now, so now he's Bengals just. Think, I was I was at the Bengals game on Sunday, and it's like I would look over at the sidelines and God, dude, Billy Price, he's just a damn cheerleader, and good for I him. Know, good good for, for him for being for being positive. Shit, but, but it's like, yeah. yo, you're our first round pick. Yeah, and he just flopped. And it's again, I hate like unless the guy's like a shithead or a jerk. Which, I don't or, think he know, is. He gets arrested all the time. Like, yeah, like. I don't think Billy Price is that at all. It's just it's not Billy Price's fault that the Bengals drafted him. Yeah, you know, whatever it was, twenty first overall. I think it's not. That's not Billy Price's fault. Billy Price didn't do that. Billy Price just happened to be taken, and it is what it is. <laughs> he just happened to be the guy taken, and he just wasn't as good. And the Bengals probably didn't develop him very well, so it's probably fault on multiple sides. So it's like that whole thing. It's just that's how you end up with that stuff for me. So it's just like take take the guy who you think is best available. Um, and roll. So, so I'm gonna ask Devonte Smith. I'm gonna. That's... I'm gonna ask you right now, just just for the fun of it. Bengals are at five. We're gonna say Sewell goes to the Dolphins at three because I think that's extreme. I think it's a very possible uh, outcome. What are you doing at five? 
And let's say we got um, you got the two quarterbacks, Fields and Lawrence, and Sewell off the board. And then let's just say uh, Parsons at four for fun. Okay, so then basically between Jamar Chase, Pitts, and I, I like Devontae Smith is what they're saying now. Um, I'm not touching Devontae yeah. Smith, by the way. I don't think yeah, I think he's a great I think he's a great I think he's a great player I think he's a great player don't get me wrong and I definitely think he's a first round talent but I don't think he's the guy that the Bengals need especially at pick five when you get a personally yeah I'm I'm a Pitts guy overall just because I think um I think when you watch the best offenses in the NFL, like the teams who can really uh, – I'm basically looking at the Chiefs. Shout out Bearcats, Travis Kelsey. But when you have a guy who's so hard to – he's a matchup problem, like it matters, and creating matchup problems, and Joe Burrow's so good over the middle of the field, like that's where he attacks. Yep. So it's like if he can get a guy like Kyle Pitts and the Bengals utilize him right, which is always a major question – and watching him attack over the middle field, I think that would be freaking awesome. And I, so, so that, that's kind of that's kind of where I would lean. But not, I, I, again, I don't, I don't know yet. Like that, I don't know. Yeah, you know what I mean. No, I'm I just saying, I'm saying for fun. And but it's just like I, I think right now I would lean Pitts, and he's electric. I mean, he's electric. So I'm gonna say in my I because I mean I I'll mess around with it, run mock drafts and whatnot. But I right. think in my dream scenario is. Like you said, the Bengals need a lot of help in a lot of different positions. Um, we're sitting at five quarterbacks are premium, especially because you've got guys like Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, these older guys that are Drew Brees. Like this could be the last year, if not next year, their last year. Um, so I think you've got a lot of teams that are going to be willing. And this is a very heavy quarterback draft class of talent, um, like first-round talent. So I definitely think in my dream case scenario is – does a team slide up to five and we move back? Now, I'm not saying move back to 15-plus, but I'm saying if we could move back to, like, eight or nine, um, get another draft pick, and then you have Pitts, Pitts or Jamar Chase fall into your hands there. Um, I think it's yeah, really think interesting. Yeah, however that shakes out, I think that's probably the ideal scenario. I would agree. I would agree. And yeah. I think that's probably pretty likely, honestly. Yeah. So. It'll be interesting. I think it'll be interesting to see how the draft plays out. Obviously, there's a ton of time. Um, I mean, shit. There's still one more college football game. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So I mean, like, we got tons. Four. We got over four. Still, I, I love watching the dominoes effect, and there will be weird draft stories come out, and people will blow shit out of proportion. So, I like. Um, I love the draft time, and I think I think I'll definitely talk about it a ton over the next two or three months. Really, like, like once we, especially as we get closer to it, hammer down. Um, I wouldn't be so. I think it'll be interesting to see the Bengals in free agency. I think once we see them in free agency and how they handle that, I'll be more interested in who they draft. Absolutely. If that makes, you know what I mean? Because I just think that kind of shapes their team. So if they decide to go heavy on the defensive line or they go get one of the receivers that are available, then it'll be like, all right. Let's hit the offensive line. Yeah, you know what I mean? it makes so our first-round pick. That, it makes it a lot of, more clear. Right, right. So I think a lot will clear up For um, sure. with that. Um, Definitely. Uh, you got any more of the Bengals? I'm kind of nah. – uh, The Bengals are just tired. tired. I mean, to me at this point, it's just tired. The Bengals yeah, are the Bengals. They're exhausting. <laughs> they're nauseating. Um, we can do these next two kind of quick because there isn't like a ton on them. 
And I think we'll do a lot of Bearcats basketball now that Bearcats football's kind of died down in the next couple of weeks, so yeah. we don't have to hit it too hard. Um, but it would be fair to mention they're two and six. Um, the big news lately is Gabe Matson, one of the four-star freshman recruits, decided to opt out because of COVID. Mamadou came back. Rapolis Ivanowskis, one of their transfers from Colgate, decided to quit. Um, a lot of people are calling for John Brandon's head. I think it's crazy. Silly. It's stupid. <laughs> think, it's they played. I, I don't know. I think the record. Um, for everyone's clarity here, I'm a crazy UC basketball fan, um, and we both are honestly. Um, but I tend to go the most crazy over UC basketball for some reason. They just get my blood boiling. Um, I think it's not to call for John Brandon's head. I just think it's insane. I think they had a shit ton of roster turnover in the last two years. They're insanely young. Um, and on John Brandon, I think this team's going to get better. Um, they haven't closed out games. This team could very easily have five wins. Yeah, easily. And I get and that big, they don't, big but time they could. And big, <laughs> so it's like, and yeah, not like so wins against Colgate, like these like bad teams. Like we're Tennessee. talking, we're talking about at Tennessee. Like they're a top ten team, top fifteen. Like yeah. it, it's very yeah. much very. It's a it was a very big possibility that we could be sitting here at four and four, whatever it is. Um, right. And I think, yeah. Oh, go on. I'm sorry. Go on, go on. Um, I think just another thing. I mean, I know you're going to, you'll mention on it more. Like you said, your Bearcats basketball is your thing, but it's like people got to, people forget that this is only his second year here. Like, yeah, we had, and I think you see fans are very spoiled by what Mick Cronin did for the program. Um, how he turned it around from what he was basically given. But, I mean, you're talking about John Brandon, who he's in his second year, and, yeah, he had a great year last year, um, and we won the American in the regular season, but he was given a pretty damn good roster. He had Trace... He was given two all-conference players. He was given Trace Scott and Jaron Cumberland, who could have played on a Power 5 school easily. Um, and it's like... He he used what he had, and he had a great year. And I think that shows the type of coach he, he is when he has the talent. He he knows what he's doing. Um, but it's like people are just so – we are very spoiled. Like UC basketball fans are spoiled is what I've been hearing, like reading, and I think it's spot on is, oh, my God, we're 2-6. and six. Get this guy out of here. It's like people forget that this is a process, and it's just beginning for him. Like give this – yeah, he's having a tough year, but honestly, I think 2020 is the perfect year to have this down year. I mean, no one wants to have a down year for their program, obviously, as fans, but it's like, if we're going to have a down year, I think this is, I mean, shit, this is the perfect year to do it. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I just, I mean, you kind of mentioned it last year, when you brought it up, they, you know, I don't know if he, uh, I don't know if he had a great watcher last year, but he had two great players. He returned the conference player of the year. And he returned a first-team all-conference player. And they were their two best defenders. Jaron was their best on-ball defender. Trey was their best rim protector. They were Jaren, Trey was the leading rebounder. Jaron was the leading scorer. Like, that's a shit ton of production that was just wiped away from this team in one year. And he's replacing it with guys who are very basketball young. Zach Harvey, even David Julius, was a, he was a backup in Michigan. And he played yeah. a decent amount of time, but he never played 30, 35 minutes a game. And Mike Adams Woods, you know, it's a sophomore year. Zach Harvey's never played. Jeremiah Davenport really hasn't played a lot. Tari Eason's a freshman. Um, like we said, I mean, Vote is what he is. They need to go small. I think Brandon's made that adjustment. 
So, and I, th- I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, 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 there's no way I'm out on John Brandon. I'm not even close to being out on John Brandon. I think this team has been in plenty of games. I think they, if they hit free throws, they probably win the cross-down shootout. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. And people are just jumping off bridges to me. I think it's insane. I really don't have – I've tweeted about it like ad nauseum, so that's maybe why I just don't have any more thoughts on it like right now. It's just they are what they are. And I think as more games come along, we'll see this team progress. And if they don't, maybe there's something we talk about. I, I think it would be ludicrous to even mention firing him. I don't think that's a thought. But no. just like – I think it's ludicrous people freaking out over him. I think that's just spoiled fans grasping for straws. Yeah, um, like, you said, like spoiled fans. People need to realize first, like his style of play is a drastic change, and his style of play is what wins in March. And I know no one wants to win, mention that, but it is. And he's his best players are guys that he didn't really. I know he brought Chris Vote here, but he brought Chris Vote here out of desperation. And as Nazia Brooks and Eli uh, Elio Sisseme left. He had no big man. He had to bring over Chris Vogt from NKU. It was a desperation. It was the first thing he did. So I think in John Brand's heart of hearts, he probably knows that Chris Vogt isn't a starter. I will on say the he should. Twenty five teams. He, he probably should he not be playing him as much either. Well, <laughs> I'll, he lowered I'll his minutes. That. He did. I mean, yeah. Vogt is down to twenty minutes a game. Yeah. And you know he still has his moments where he'll go finish a layup and he'll get post position. But yeah, he's not the physical post player. He's not a good rim protector. It is what it is. But I. I think Brandon was backed into a corner, needed to do what he could, and I think Trey Scott and Jaron Cumberland masked a shit ton of um, issues with offensive continuity last year, and they bailed him out. So they're just not winning the close games this year. Yeah. You know, that stuff changes. I think they'll be fine. I, I really do. I, I'm not, by fine. I don't mean that this team's gonna make the tournament, but fine that I think they'll. I think we could be pretty competitive and good again next year honestly absolutely and i think you mentioned it uh mattson opting out and um i know we had talked about it all on the side but i don't think that's something that we gotta read too much into personally i could be wrong i don't i don't know him i don't know i know nothing about him but i you made it you had a tweet today and it was a very good point like we're in the middle like we're in the middle of a pandemic these kids lives are currently school Go to the gym, practice, work out, play a game here and there, and then go right back to their dorm. Yep. They're not, and they're, they're they in college. No social life, they're in college yeah. right now, and like that can be. I mean, when you're, I mean, everyone's been there when you're a freshman in college. Like you have all these expectations. Like, like when you go on your, like when these guys went on their visits. Like I, I know what my visits were like. I mean, you get this idea drawn up of what college is going to be, and then you get in there and. You're in the middle of a pandemic, and like I said, it's school, workout, yeah. play, practice, go back to your dorm. That's it. You can't. Yeah, and they get no. So it's you know fun. Yeah. So, so if he opts I out, I mean, taxing on those guys. Absolutely, sure. he opts out. I mean, like I said, I don't know him. I don't know what he's going through. So, but I just I can't imagine this is something where we got to be like freaking out about. Right, his brother's still here, so yeah. it's like I just think I think Gabe probably need to take a step back, and you know he's not from here. He's Family's up in uh, Wisconsin, or I think it's Minnesota. 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 So it's like you know, his family's a thousand miles away, or whatever it is. So it's like he's got, you know, it's it's tough for him. So I, I agree. I don't think this is, and maybe we're wrong. Maybe he does quit. Maybe he hates John Brandon. I have no idea, but I think I don't, I don't think it's fair to speculate any of that right now. Absolutely not on him. And then another thing before we move on, I just wanted to throw out. I don't know if you saw it. I'm sure you did. Uh, Jaron Cumberland's Instagram post on his story. Talk oh, about. God. Talk about trash, dude. Come on. There's a lot of rumors with that. 
I've heard. Um, it just uh, screams to me. Uh, it, the, the family believes the story that is being told somewhat is that there was some draft. Sharon had the opportunity to go work out and Brandon trashed him. I don't really know. I don't know any belief to that. I don't know how true it is. I, I have mean, no idea. I've gone I've gone. I've seen it on Twitter a lot. So I've gone through the draft process. Your coach, your your coach wants you to get drafted because it's a better look for the program. It's a better. Not only does he want every coach wants their player to succeed. I've never met a coach that didn't want me to succeed. I'm sure you can say the the same thing when you played. Every coach wants their player to succeed. That's why they're a coach. It's part of being a coach you want your guys to succeed in life especially so and like you said it helps the program i mean when he goes out and recruits like yeah i just got jaron cumberland drafted like he's currently playing on the chicago bulls it's like so to hear that that's just like to me mind-blowing and like i I said we could be wrong but it's like that just for me that just seems it just seems yeah that's a rumor on twitter we should yeah, it just seems like such a stretch. And when I saw that, it just screamed to me that he was, he was salty. Like he probably, maybe he didn't have good workouts. Maybe he didn't impress in his interviews. And now he's he's not playing in the NBA, which obviously was his dream. So it, yeah. I don't know. And it, to me, it just seems like it's 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 his fallback. And oh, I'm gonna blame the coach, and I'm salty with him. But yeah, it, it, I just it wanted to bring like that up. Move, and it was and it was I thought it was shitty to do by him, especially when he still has friends and guys he played with like on the team. On the team. So it's like hey, come on man. Like you were you were a leader here. He's kind of a legend. I mean I don't want to call him a legend like Sean Kilpatrick or Steve Logan, but I mean he was He's up there. He was a third team all American. I mean yeah. he's one of the leading scores in UC history. Like come on man. Yeah. I mean yeah. I don't know. I, I just didn't like it. I don't want to harp um, yeah I didn't I don't want to harp on it too much. I just saw it and I thought yeah, it's relevant and I agree. And I think talking about. and I think that just fuels to the fire of these people that the pro get rid of Brandon like oh they're seeing that and it's like well even he wants him out. It's like come on now. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I'm not yeah, whatever. Dude, come on, Jared. Figure it out. But lazy. Uh but I guess we'll wrap up my favorite probably topic. The infamous Cincinnati Reds. Oh, I got a rant. <laughs> I'm done. I can't. Oh boy. Uh um to me, yeah, I don't, I don't I, know. You you can have your opinion. I think this is just such a I mean, we're we're on Jan- it's January fifth, and we've seen a handful of free agent signings. Um, just in the MLB in general, it's an extremely weird uh, off season. Um, obviously, teams are dumping money because allegedly they lost millions. Apparently, the Cubs are saying they lost like over a billion dollars in revenue. I'm sure they are. Um, it I don't know it. The Reds just had me in question marks in my head and it pains me because I love the Reds I am so alright so I, what I had written down here and I think the big thing that went around with the Reds like it went not, I want to say somewhat semi-viral on social media was that the Reds are the Vegas favorites to win the division and all first of all there's people I follow on Twitter that are Reds writers or they you know they talk about the Reds they break down the Reds analytics and that's great they're really good at what they do but they're, sometimes they're just so overly optimistic about the Reds it just drives me nuts and you're not allowed to badmouth them I'm so tired of hearing that they're like this team's talented enough to win the division 
great. Who cares? The sucks. Yeah. The division sucks. The Cubs are going to be bad. The Cardinals are going to be very average. I don't care about winning 86 games, getting into the, the divisional route, and getting and shut out again. Yep. We are not close to competing with the Braves, Dodgers, or Padres. We're not close. We're no. at the very bare minimum, at the bare minimum, we're the fourth best team in the National League right now, and we're not close to either of the top three. The goal is to win the, the World, World Series. series. Yep. Even if you don't want to say win, get there. The goal is to get there because I think if you can get there, anything can it, happen. It's baseball. But you, yeah. you, this team isn't close to getting there. And the moves that they make insinuate that they're not going to move forward and trying to get there. And maybe I'm wrong and maybe they'll prove me wrong. I don't know. But the the, the trading of Rossell Iglesias and the, get, the getting rid of Archie Bradley and Kirk Asale is gone for Tucker Barnhart. And Don't even get me started on Tucker yet. Barnhart. They're not even in, not even in <laughs> trade talks, it seemingly, for any of the big shortstops. Trevor Bauer is probably going to go. Anthony Scafani already signed with the Giants. So now you're telling me that this team that's the quote-unquote favorite to win the division, which I'll give Vegas their credit, whatever they are, has now lost their uh, Cy Young starting pitcher. They've lost their number five starter. They lost one of their two platoon catchers. They still have no shortstop. They lost their closer and they're probably their third or fourth best reliever. Oh, and the DH is gone. So you're going to have to lose the at bat of either Winker or, or Shogo probably, or Shogo or Senzel, who I don't know how the hell they're going to manage this outfield every day. And now I'm telling me that this team that just the last time we saw them fell flat on their face in the playoffs against a good Braves team. Now we're just supposed to like magically whisk our, you know, click our feet together and pr- hope that everything's going to be better. Get out of my face with that, man. It's it's so Bob Castellini, it hurts. It's so Reds, it hurts. They get no beef in this city for being and run into the ground, and they're so lazy. And I, I just I can't get excited about winning this division. I don't care about winning the division. I want to compete for a World Series. Don't and We haven't done it in eight years. And don't forget that the uh, almighty trade rumors of Sonny Gray getting thrown around, too. Well, here's my thing, is... Do one or the other. Yeah, it's either go all in to win, win the whole damn thing, or yeah. just clear house. Don't do or this. Just clear house and don't do this. Have value. Don't do this. Eighty-five game win, like you said, eighty-five games. Hope, yeah. hope we win a division. We don't even know if we will. And yeah. then get beat in the playoffs by because, like you said, the Braves, Padres, Dodgers. Like I can rattle teams off. Even the Mets this year, like yeah. they will sweep us under the rug. Yeah, it's it's not even. I mean, you can make the Mets. The Mets are probably on a similar level to us. Hell, I would even say that Nationals healthy are on a similar level to us. And it's like and, and, if and it's like now we're supposed to just pound our chest and be like, yeah, we're going to win the division. Great, great. Who cares? I literally have written down here. Who cares? Because uh, you put a thing like we're the Vegas favorites, like you said, and it's I put National League Central is a legit dumpster dumpster fire. Fire. It's a joke. We it's win a the joke. division. Great. Whoop de do. I could care less. Yeah, I mean, it's the NFC East of this year. It's going to be bad. The Cubs are selling everybody. And, you know, the Cardinals, I mean, the Cardinals, first of all, the, the Cardinals hold our, you know, they hold us by our balls every year anyway. Cardinals are always so good. Like, the Cardinals now, we're, are... now, we're gonna, now all of a sudden we're just going to assume we're better. And here's the thing. I'm, I'm all for believing that Nicholas Castellanos will be a little bit better. That or a little more consistent, I should say, because he was really good at the beginning of the year. That Mike Moustak will stay healthier and be better. That Eugenio Suarez won't hit 200. Uh, I believe that Michael Lorenzo could be a, a, 
competent starter. I believe that Wade Miley's good for 162 games. I believe in Castillo and Sonny Gray. I believe that Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green could be good. I believe that Nick Senzel may stay healthy. You can't believe in all those things, for one. I believe that Shogu Akayama will be better. Even if all those things happen, if all those things, if all those guys are good or quality or play up to their their pretty much yearly meeting, we might, not as bad as they did last We year, might win one game in the division. Yeah. <laughs> we're still not as good as the Dodgers, Padres, or Braves. Even if that happens. So it's like, it's just, stop. Yep. Just stop with that. And just act like you... I don't know. Just act like you want to win. Yep. To me, it's that's just. I at I this know. point, I would rather them clear house, send if, send Sonny out. I would rather clear house and roll this team out. Then. Yeah, hundred percent. I would Luis Castillo. Hundred percent. At least. I mean, I don't want to get too deep. I don't suck. I'm sure we'll do some hot stove league stuff once winter meetings really kick in and all that stuff. I don't even know when I, I, they're talking about pushing the season back. I don't even know when all that stuff's going to happen. Well, but, yeah, I don't know. Like you said, so it's, it's like, it's crazy. I but, think honestly, of everything we've talked about, I think the reds are probably more frustrating even than the Bengals. I really do. Oh, it's it because the thing is, is the division is bad, right? So it's like, if you want to win the division and you can win the division and probably stockpile a bunch of wins and maybe sneak yourself into a one or two seed in the playoffs if you put together a really good team. Because and I think I think the Reds I think right now r- right now where the Reds stand as a roster, I think they're a couple moves away from thinking, all right, yeah, we could run to the World Series. We could. Whereas the Bengals, yeah, it's like the Bengals, the Bengals aren't even close to that right now. Right, right. Where so it's, it's like the Bengals, it's almost more apathy. It's the Reds. It's yeah, like, it's it's frustration. It's like it's just it's so it's, frustrating to sit there with their hands crossed and and I know, think I think this all knows, maybe the guy they got from the Angels. No, you know, Derek Johnson. No, I know we're both from no. our personal conversations. We're big fans of Derek Johnson. We believe in Kyle Bodie and the pitching development and the Lucas Sims of the world. Those guys have really blossomed, but. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't scream that the Reds are going for it to win a World Series when you trade away your closing pitcher for yeah. for kind of nothing. For nothing. <laughs> I mean, nothing Noe, of great Noe, value projects. Noe Ramirez. Projects. I've watched Noe Ramirez pitch. I mean, it's it's just it's mind boggling. He's a project. He's a project. I mean, I don't, he's thirty two. I don't even turnaround. know if you call him a project. He's he's. I think he's thirty two years old. Oh well. Okay. Even worse. Exactly. I, I, I have no idea. I, I don't know what the plan is. I, I really don't. And I get they they had to cut costs, but geez, man, the division's there for the taking. And I think you could really seal yourself as the ultimate favorite, and then and then put some. yourself in the echelon with. I don't think you can get close to the Dodgers or Padres. <laughs> Yeah, Padres are still young though, right? And, the, and I, I get what you're saying, but there's still a lot of new guys meshing together. Like, I think that matters. Not but so much, but what they, what, but chance, what they, the Reds what, have no chance right now with, what, with either of those teams in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, and I, I hate it's the, crazy that we're even talking about the playoffs. Like this team, there's no guarantee this team even gets to the playoffs. But if yeah. they did, I mean, who this team ain't close to? You ain't competing with one of those teams in five games or seven games. No, no chance. Nope. But I don't know. Like I said, I think a lot. There's still nothing's really happened when it right, comes. Right, so there's still so, a ton to go. There's still so, a ton to go. Again, but we could do this again next week, and the Reds may have traded for Francisco Lindor. We might holy shit, the Reds are all in, and that'd be great. And sure. I, I hope so, but <laughs> yeah. but I, like, I wanted I just, to say I don't have any faith in Bob Castellini. Yeah, I and I, I think it's really frustrating because it's like 
when Dick Williams stepped down, I think this was the writing on the wall that we just refused to believe. When he stepped down, I think it showed the direction or lack thereof. I think it's the reason he stepped down. Yeah. He, he's like, well, if you guys aren't committed to winning a World Series, then I'm going to just go out and do – his whatever job that he's currently doing, I think. He's, I don't think he wanted to be attached to two rebuilds. No, and, and how, how think, you can't blame him. No, I totally agree. I think he was like, you know what, we we committed to winning, and I'll say they committed to winning last year. They sure, they absolutely did. They traded for Trevor Bauer. They, you know, they did a lot of things. So it just didn't pan out. I think COVID factored into a lot of that, but um, they committed to winning for sixty games, and now it seems like they're. They're shutting the door on that again. Yeah. So, I, it's frustrating, man. Life of a life of a Cincinnati fan. That's why we're here. It's what we live through, man. It's what we live through. But uh, um, I think that's I think a, that's all we got. Yeah, I think that was a pretty yeah. good first show. Um, I'm excited to keep doing this with you. Yeah, I think it'll be good. Um, obviously, if you're listening, you made it this far. Thank you. Um, we're trying to kind of spice it up. Talk about. Everybody, I don't know if we'll talk about everybody every week just because not everybody's in the news every week. So it's like we're not just going to sit here and make up conversation. But obviously this was a huge week. Bengals ending, Bearcats ending. So um, thanks, everybody, for listening, and um, see you next week.